God uses men, amen? He's going to speak through men to his church. You know, remember, Jesus was a man. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And the Word became flesh. Don't you know it was difficult for folks to receive, amen, from Jesus because he was just that carpenter's son, amen? And that thought warred against them just like, amen, today when men speak to us in the church, there can be that warfare that's just a man. But if it's according to the Word of God, then it's God speaking to us through men. Hallelujah. Well, we planned on coming to these meetings um, when Brother Victor told us about them. We planned on coming and, and just being a part, regardless if we were going to preach or not. That wasn't really something we considered. But um, Brother Victor did ask me to preach these morning meetings. And so the thought, of course, is what, you know, what does God want to say in these meetings here in the morning? And uh, God has put on my heart, just burdened me, for the call of God and for young men called to preach. And so he's given me a series of messages here that will address that. And, um, you know, if you're not called to preach, then I believe there is an application for you because all of us are called. Amen. Every one of us have a calling. That calling is important. That calling is specific. Each of us have a function in the body, and we must perform that function according to the grace of God. But um, the Holy Ghost, I believe, will be very specific and deal with those called to preach. Amen. And I see a lot of young men here, and I believe that God has his hand on many of you. Uh, there are some young ladies here that perhaps God will have you marry someone that God will call. There are parents here who have children that I believe God has called in the ministry. So I believe there's something for all of us in what the Holy Ghost is going to speak to us here in these three morning services. We're going to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. Six hindrances to spiritual influence is what I've entitled this message. Six hindrances to spiritual influence. And again, this can be applied just simply to any Christian's testimony. Amen. Any Christian's testimony. Reading here in verse 3, giving no offense in anything. That's a pretty high standard. Amen. Giving no offense in anything. How many of you believe that's possible to do by the grace of God? If that's a command, then God indeed will give us grace to fulfill this standard. But it is a high standard. Giving no offense in anything. Why? That the ministry be not blamed. That the ministry be not blamed. Will you pray with me here this morning? Father, we ask for your spirit. We ask for unction from above, Lord God, that the word of God would have free course to be spoken and to be heard, Lord. We pray for the Holy Ghost anointing that makes preaching effectual. Touch us here this morning. Speak to our heart, Lord. We pray that we'd have faith to hear and to obey. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if we're going to have influence, if we're going to be effective for Jesus, then there's some things that we simply cannot do and we cannot be. 
particularly if we are called in the ministry. If we're going to preach the gospel, if we're going to have an effective testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's some things that we're going to have to avoid. On the other hand, there's certain attributes, certain marks, or certain characteristics that must absolutely be evident in our life if we're going to effectively preach the gospel. So this morning, six things that we must not do in ministry or we will lose our spiritual influence. These things are an absolute, and I believe you'll agree. If we love God and we love the souls of men, then at all cost we must avoid these six things. Any man who refuses to deny himself in this area, any man who refuses to deny himself and put the Lord Jesus Christ and his church above himself and his family is unfit for ministry. Now, I realize that there's that idea, that false concept, that family comes first. You know, I find that, that terminology so absolutely amazing. You know, I believe the family is very, very important. I believe the family holds a high priority in the mind of God. But any time you put that qualifying word first in front of anything, you are promoting idolatry unless you say Jesus first. Amen. Jesus comes first in everything. Amen. You know, what What an absurd thought that our family would come first when Jesus said you have to hate mother, father, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own life, or you cannot be his disciple. I believe if we're truly submitted to God, then God will provide for our families. There will be time. There will be ministry. Amen. To the family. Don't mistake, amen, what I'm saying here. But your family does not come first. And particularly if you are called in the ministry, you must disciple your family to prepare for self-denial. To lay down their life according to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ that others can be blessed. Amen. The constant thought must always be, how will this affect our testimony? for the Lord Jesus Christ. How is this going to influence other people? Are we being consistent with what we preach? We have to always apply. What are we preaching to others? We have to apply that very stringently and very strictly to ourselves. Romans 14 and 13, the Apostle Paul said by the Holy Ghost, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. You know, that's love, amen? That's to love God supremely. And by that love, I'm compelled and inspired to love others, uh, love my neighbor as myself. Furthermore, the God-called leader must be a spiritual tone setter rather than someone who succumbs to the norm. You must not merely conform to the moral climate around you. You must set the standard. You've got to be willing to press in. You've got to be willing to push forward. Though others may not do so, you have to take the initiative in the Spirit. And you have to resolve in your heart that this 
this is the way that you're going to live. You're not going to succumb to what I refer to as the bare minimum spirit. You know, in every church, there's a certain standard that's communicated. And there are those folks that will submit to what's required of them. But, you know, the leader mustn't be that way. He's got to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and there has to be a desire to provoke other people to seek God. There has to be that desire for the anointing, for the power of God. Not that people would see us, amen, but that people would see the Lord Jesus Christ. An earnest desire that Christ would be manifested, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be unveiled, that men might be drawn unto Him. That has to be our constant desire and our constant motivation. We must live, as the Apostle Paul said, as a bondservant, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are some things that we must do, and there are other things that we mustn't do. Amen? And what are these things? Six hindrances to spiritual influence here this morning. Number one, and most obvious, unconfessed and unforsaken sin is a great hindrance to ministry. Amen? Any secret sin, anything that I refuse to confront or deal with in my life is going to grieve the Spirit of God. Galatians 6, 7 through 8, a very familiar passage for us. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Amen. That's a spiritual law that cannot be unbroken. No one is an exception to this law. The wages of sin is death. Amen. The wages of sin is death. So sin always, without exception. And you know, when, 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 when they're, when generally will there be an exception? It's when we sin, we want to make an exception. But sin without exception brings death and defeat. I've got no problem believing that the adulterer out on the street, when he commits adultery, that he dies. Amen. That it brings death to his life. But do I believe that sin brings death in my life? Galatians 5 and 9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little, just a little unconfessed and unforsaken sin will utterly defile the man and his ministry. Now, you know, today in in the loose climate that there is in the church, the thought is, well, you know, there's not a lot of sin here in the church, or there's not a lot of sin in my life. There's just a little sin, so because it's just a little bit, then it's okay. But that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, just a little sin, a little leaven will leaven the whole. We must believe that. We must embrace. You see, it's the truth that makes us free. And if we if we hold to erroneous thinking while we at the same time quote the Bible that refutes our own notions, amen, then we're deceived. We have to believe a little leaven leavens a whole lump and judgment begins at the house of God and it needs to begin with us, amen. You can forget about appearances No matter what it looks like, no matter how blessed it seems, there's never any real spiritual progress as long as sin is allowed to continue. 
You know, that's a rule of judgment that I have to apply to myself. I'm utterly convinced of that in my own life. It's important for me to believe that about TBN or about the first church down the road. Yes, but it's more, even more important that I believe that about me. Amen. If there's sin there, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You know, many times there can be sin, and yet it appears that people are being saved. And, and, and of course, people can be saved in spite of sin or in spite of error, and I believe that. But you don't judge a ministry according to the apparent fruit. If there's sin in that life, then there's going to be trouble down the road. And yet it's common for men to be deceived into believing they can sin or carelessly sin, but their ministry is the exception. And how often have we seen this in, you know, recent years where people are being exposed in the grossest of sin and their own confession is God raised up this ministry and He needs this ministry or He needs me. God doesn't need anybody. Amen. He'll raise up somebody else. But sin is going to bring death. Amen. Sin is going to bring death. It's going to defile. Ecclesiastes 8 and 11 says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know, don't misinterpret the long suffering and the mercy of God. Just because I fall into sin and God doesn't immediately kill me, amen, doesn't mean that He's endorsing what I'm doing, amen. I've got to deal with that scripturally. If there's something in our life, that the Spirit of God has put His finger on. If there's something in our life that is against what the Bible teaches, but we refuse to confess it and to forsake it, then don't be deceived. God is not mocked. We are sowing. Amen? We are planting, and we're going to reap a harvest. Just a little bit of time will tell. But in churches, amen, like this church, or churches that are conservative, amen, the issue is generally not with the open or the brazen sin. No, it's usually the secret sins, the hidden transgressions, defilement of the heart and the spirit, where the heart is allowed to perhaps grow bitter, where unforgiveness is harbored, where there's resentment or envy or lust there in the heart, and it's not forsaken, it's not dealt with. Listen to me, if you don't confront sin in your own life, God is not going to allow you to confront sin in other people's life. You've got to prove first that by faith you can gain victory over that sin, that you can be a blessing and a testimony to other people. By faith in the atonement, by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may say here this morning, well, yes, preacher, there is a besetting sin that I wrestle with. I'm not telling you to give up. I'm not, you know, suggesting for you to lose heart. Amen. There's power in the blood. I said there's power in the blood. And Jesus can set you free if you sin. Not when you sin, but if you sin, you do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. And if you will confess, if you will forsake, 
sake. If you will come under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe Him for complete deliverance, then He will set you free. Amen? But don't think for one moment that you're going to protect or cover some secret sin and at the same time be blessed of God. You're deceived if you think that. Amen? Unconfessed, unforsaken sin, sin we refuse to deal with. Amen? It's going to defile us. We cannot be an effective preacher if we harbor or protect sin in our life. Just because it's not seen or just because it's not known by others does not mean it will not render its awful effects. Ecclesiastes 10 and 1. Dead flies. Cause the ointment of the apocryphy to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Oh, I tell you what, you need the anointing, amen? Amen. If the Holy Ghost isn't speaking here today, then this is all futility and vanity. If there's not the anointing and the authority of the Holy Ghost, then little will be done by just talking about the Bible. There has to be divine authority to deal with the heart. So first and most obvious, we've got to forsake our sin. There has to be a work of sanctification in the life. We must be holy vessels meet for the Master's use. Secondly, un Unchecked spiritual ambition. Unchecked spiritual ambition. Or if we're out of place in the body. Proverbs 25 and 14. Whoso boasted himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. No substance. No substance. Just an appearance of something, but no real substance. Amen. You must not allow an unsanctified desire for ministry drive you out of the will of God. What an irony. Amen. To be called of God, and yet that unsanctified ambition in the Spirit driving us outside of the will of God. And you know, the the call of God will compel a man. The call of God will even drive a man. But this too must be submitted to the cross. It must come under the subjection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to be laid upon the altar. Amen. And the promise must die that it can experience resurrection life. I cannot allow that zeal to do something for God drive me outside of the will of God. Amen. It's not uncommon for men to say that they're called to preach while they're spiritually unqualified to do so. And namely, I'm speaking about folks going out too early. They're not ready to really take upon that type of authority. There's a Gifting, there's a calling, but they haven't really been prepared. They haven't found their place in the local church. You know, what, what's the incubator for life? Well, what, 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 what is God? What vessel, what means, and what method has God given for the raising up of the fivefold ministry? The church. That's what He's given. That is His method, amen, to raise up preachers of the gospel. But so often, you know, someone gets born again in this hour, and they show a little promise, and there's evidence perhaps of some gifting or some calling, and they're ready to push them out the door and send them somewhere. That's not always wisdom. Most times, amen, it's it's going to be a tragedy, because though there's a gifting, amen, and though there's a calling, there's not been the 
character developed to sustain the anointing. Amen. There has to be a preparation. There has to be a readying. Amen. I was called to preach when I got born again. Amen. A few months after I was saved, I was preaching on a bench in front of two or three hundred raging heathen at the campus of LSU. The gift was there. I didn't have to work that up. It was already resident in my life. Amen. But I would have destroyed people if I'd have started pastoring at that time. Not because I was wicked in heart, because I wasn't really prepared. Amen. Say, well, you should have just gone off to Bible school for three years or so, and then you'd have been ready. Amen. Where's that in the Bible? Nowhere in the Bible. Amen. I'm not here to blast Bible school, but I just know one thing. Amen. There's none that I'd send my children to. None anywhere in America that I know of. Perhaps there are some. I can tell you what. There's a local church that you find yourself in. The one that God puts you in. Amen. And if you will serve and you will labor there and that local church and be faithful, then you will learn what it is to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is where individuals are to be raised up. Amen. Nor is it unusual that men can believe they're called when in fact they're not. Two situations that we're speaking about here. Amen. Where situations where men are really called, but they go out before God really sends them, are men that are zealous and they desire the call of God, but they're not really called. Both of these classes tend to take rather than receive the office that God has called. Amen. They they receive, or, or pardon me, they take, amen, because they're either not ready for it, amen, and God hasn't fully given it to them, so they take it, or they're not called to it altogether, and they take it anyway. Throughout the Bible, those who fell prey to this temptation are many. From Lucifer to Haman, from Absalom to Diotrephes, amen, and we are very unwise if we don't recognize this. Amen. And if you're really called to preach here this morning, then you understand the temptation that I'm speaking of. You understand it perfectly because there's that compelling. There's that desire. Amen. There's a pushing forward. The grace of God. Amen. To help you overcome the distractions of the devil that 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 calling doesn't come to fruition. You know the thought, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And how is it going to unfold? All those thoughts are very common to the young man that's called to preach. But you cannot try to answer those questions before God Himself gives you the answer. You've got to exhibit patience, amen. We'd be wise to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. If I take ground that God hasn't told me to take, I'm going to be in trouble. Amen? I'm going to be in trouble. Listen, young preacher, like anything else, ministry doesn't work unless it's in God's timing, God's way, and in God's will. You know, just consider for a moment if Brother Victor, who is God called, it's already proven. It's already proven himself in ministry. 
Just suppose that he want, went on a trip with his family to, you know, say the Smoky Mountains or the Rocky Mountains or, uh, you know, somewhere where it was beautiful and the climate was wonderful and he visited there and, you know, he and his family really enjoyed, you know, everything that they saw and, you know, and I, I'm, I'm saying this because when I go to the Smoky Mountains, that's exactly what I think. It'd be nice to be sent here. Amen. And, you know, the thought came to Brother Victor, well, it'd be nice, you know, what's the difference between pastor and, a church right here in Huffman or passionate church in a Pigeon Forge. There's a, there's a need here as there's a need everywhere. And he just decided, well, I'm going to close things down here and I'm going to resign my pastorate here and I'm just going to plant a church up in Tennessee somewhere or Colorado. You think that God would bless it? He's called. You think God would bless it? He wouldn't. Unless God sent him there. Do you believe that? Amen. I'm wondering if you do. Hallelujah. I think that's obvious. Amen. He's not going to bless you just because a man wants to go. Just because there's a need. There's needs everywhere. Amen. There's a need in China right now. That doesn't mean all of us are called to go to China. There's needs everywhere. You've got to be led of the Holy Ghost. And you've got to be willing to wait until you know God called me right here. You better know, amen, because the devil's going to come. You've got to be able to say, amen, without a shadow of a doubt, this is where God placed me, and I will stand against everything to see the life of God manifested, amen. The life that humbly submits to Christ and finds His will will be blessed with divine authority and divine anointing. And those things are not just, you know, well, that'd be good if we had that. Those things are essential. Doesn't matter whether you go on the mission field. Doesn't matter whether you evangelize. Doesn't matter whether you plant a church, pastor a church, teach in the church, lead worship, whatever it may be. Those things are absolutely essential if you're going to be effective in leadership. Absolutely. And they will not be there if you are self-willed. Those who take rather than receive the call will be marked by air of superiority, pride, self-seeking, and the love of preeminence. The desire to be seen. The desire to be in the forefront. Oh, how awful an attitude of spirit that is. We have to die to that. Amen. Willing to labor in obscurity. Willing to do whatever the Holy Ghost would have us to do, whether we're seen or not seen. Whether we're heard or not heard. Believe me, that has to come in every individual's life or it's going to be a stumbling block. It's going to be an avenue and a venue you, the devil will come in and tempt you with. The Holy Ghost is going to deal with it, particularly for those that are going to be speaking and those that are going to be leading. There has to be a death to that ambition. Amen. Well, then what do we do to avoid this? Well, listen, as I point us to a particular principle that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians 14 and 12, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts. 
Now, I know he's speaking specifically here of the gifts of the Spirit and not necessarily the office gifts. But I believe this principle can be applied. What do I do to avoid this type of spirit? Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. What you're saying, preacher? If you're called to preach, find out the local church that God wants to put you in. And if you can't find that calling, and that's a calling, friend. I said that's a calling. Every person in this local church ought to know that God has sent me to this place to plant me here for such a time as this. And if you can't find out where God is going to plant you, then how are you going to find out what God has for you to do? So the first step is to find where God plants you in the local church or in the body. Amen. And when you find that place, then concentrate on falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Concentrate on ministering unto the Lord Jesus Christ and building up and edifying the local church. You know, if you're faithful in the least, then God will grant you more. If you can't evangelize out of the local church, then what makes you think you're going to go to Africa and win Africa? You're deceived. If you won't even go on a street corner here and preach the gospel, and you're waiting for God to send you to another country to be a missionary, friend, you're deceived. If you won't reach out to your next door neighbor here, you're not going to reach out to anybody. You're just looking for a position. That's all you're looking for. You just want to be called preacher, rabbi. You see, be faithful where you're at. And what you do here is what you will do anywhere. And God knows that, and you and I need to know it as well. Amen. We have to seek to edify the church. Amen. Proverbs 18 and 16. A man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. If you're truly called and you're truly gifted and you will simply concentrate on your relationship with Jesus and be faithful in the local church that God has planned. Well, you know, God hasn't put me in a local church. Amen. Then God is not going to use you to plant a local church or minister to the local church. Because if you won't subject yourself to the local church, then you have no part in it. That's the truth, friend. And that's what we have in this hour. We have spiritual renegades that's never even been in a local church, and they're trying to build what they've never experienced themselves. You know, being in a local church has its own trials. It has its own temptations. Hey, Ben? It has a certain degree. Hey, Ben, this is a training ground. And as you find a place to submit to and do the will of God, you know, you may think, and I remember as a young preacher, I prayed uh, years ago before uh, Mr. Swaggart fell over here, and I wanted to go to that Bible college so bad. I, I was in the military before, and I had, you know, finances from the military. Nothing kept me from going. All I needed was a release from God. And I prayed and prayed, and every time I prayed, God told me, no, just find yourself a local church. You know, in retrospect, as I look back, I see the wisdom of God Almighty. I see that He simply placed me under a man of God and in a local church, and there I was discipled and raised up. But for, for a long time, I thought I was spinning my spiritual wheels. You know, I'm just wasting time. That temptation was there. But I didn't see the, 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 uh, the, the invisible hand.
hand of God working in my life through those circumstances, just day to day, you know, the mundane existence of keeping the victory and serving in the local church. Nobody can put a price tag on that. Oh, how valuable it is. I mean, looking back, I see how God molded and shaped me in that experience of the local church. Don't concentrate on your ministry, but concentrate on doing the will of God where you are at. Amen. You know, for years, there'd be an opportunity opened up. And, you know, someone needed a pastor. And I, I would go and preach and come home and tell my wife they need a pastor. I would go sit down with my pastor. He'd say, pray about it. Most of the time he just told me, you're not ready to pastor. And uh, you know, God would always be there to tell me no. But you know, there was a desire to do something. It was so attractive. But for years I, I wanted to do something. And you know, a lot of my peers, those that said they were, they went through the first door that opened up to them. A lot of them not even serving God today. And you know, again, I look back in retrospect. What I had to walk through by faith. I can now see by the vantage point, amen, of God that all the way, it's so easy to see now, but it was so difficult to understand then. You know, when I finally came to the place where the Holy Ghost made me content to stay, then it was time to leave. When I was content to sit down, Brother Victor, when I was content just to preach on the street, when I was content just to serve, then God said, now, it's time to go. Amen. And listen to me. These are real works that have to be done. You have to experience this in your spirit. Or you are going to leave yourself open for destruction. Amen. If you're out of place in the body, though, you'll never have influence over anybody but the blind. You've got to find that place that God wants you. And from that moment on, you stay in that place that God wants you. If He moves you, that's I can say, you know, as a pastor, I talk to people all the time. I talk to people, as Brother Victor probably does, all over the United States, you know, that call, they may get a tape, and you minister to them from afar. And I'm amazed how many times I ask people, can you tell me for a surety that you know you are in the perfect will of God? Hesitation. No. Brother Brett, I can't really say that I know that I am. What a dangerous place. What, a da- what an awful thing. You've got to be able to say, from the moment that God planted me in a local church when I first got born again, there has never been not five minutes in my Christian life that I couldn't say with a surety, I am in the absolute perfect will of God. That's not anything to do with me. That's just God's grace. Amen. And I'm amazed that people aren't in that place. That's a thing. But you'll listen to me. If you're called to preach, you will never, never, never fulfill your calling until you can say, I know that I am in the perfect will of God. I have peace with God. I can come into His presence. I know there's nothing between me and Him or me and any other individual. I know there's no area. I'm not disobey. He's not telling me to go over here. Amen. And I refuse to go. Or he's not telling me to stay right here. And I refuse to stay. I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do. If you can't abide in that place, then you're not led of the Holy Ghost. And you're not going to minister to anybody. The next thing, selfishness. 
or the lack of love. The lack of self-denying love. Because, you know, holiness is a byproduct of, ho- of love. Amen? Holiness is a byproduct of divine love shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Ghost. Love is the fulfilling of the law. But, you know, sin is also, amen, worked by love. It's worked by self-love. When I love myself, then I'm going to sin. That's self-love or selfishness. So selfishness or the lack of love for God. Matthew 23 and 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Selfishness will blind you to your obligation to sacrifice for others. And that's what ministry is, amen. It's not about you. It's not about you being in a position where you have influence over other people. It's not about you being seen or being heard. It's about you being a yielded vessel that Christ can use as He sees fit. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You know what you have today? You have many egomaniacs in the pulpit. And they preach because it ministers to their ego. They are egocentric. And they receive gratification. You know why there's so little anointing or one of the reasons why on the music, amen, so many times in churches? Because people are playing uh, instruments. They're seeking to, uh, to be gratified themselves rather than ministering unto the Lord. Amen. And so ministry is not for me, but ministry is for Jesus. First and foremost. I am to minister unto Him. And whatever He tells me to do, no matter where He tells me to go, or what He tells me to put my hand to, I have to be content to do His will. We cannot accept the call of God if we're unwilling to sacrifice so others might be blessed and others might be strengthened. If we ever forget this, then we will always misrepresent the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about appeasing people. I'm not talking about babysitting. I'm not talking about overlooking sin. Amen. I'm talking about thinking of other people and realizing why God has put His hand upon me, that I can lay down my life by the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can enter into that calling and give Jesus my body as a dwelling place, as a habitation where He can reveal Himself that others may be provoked to seek God. You know, if I preach here today, or Brother Victor preaches, or or any man preaches, and you're not compelled to seek Jesus, then we have failed. If we cannot provoke and inspire men to press into Jesus, then we have missed the mark of ministry. Now, as we know, we're not, we'll not always convince others that we love them. That's not our obligation. Our obligation is to give men what they need, not necessarily what they want. That's a very important point to remember. Nor are we obligated to convince men that we love them. No, our duty only is to love them in truth and deed. There's been a lot of people that I've preached to, 
Amen. A lot of people that I pastored, that the last thought that they had was that I loved them. Amen. That was the last thought. They, they thought of something altogether different. But the real question is, did God say, I love them? Now, whether I'm not under the obligation to convince you that I love you, I'm under the obligation simply to love you. That's the obligation of the preacher. It's the obligation of the Christian period. Nevertheless, make no mistake, we are to love people. Oh, yes. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And I am to love my neighbor. I am to do to him what I would want done unto me. I am to seek his highest good. That is the benevolence of God. Amen. And oftentimes, it will be people who are difficult to love. Isn't that true, Brother Victor? Amen. And that, listen to me. That's true for every Christian. Not just the preacher. But God will sovereignly and providentially place people in our our lives. Amen. The test is there. Are we going to love them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we going to sacrifice that that individual can be drawn closer to the Lord Jesus? In ministry, listen to me, frustration with people is a very great temptation. It's very easy to love people from afar off. You know, and really, I'll just speak frankly and transparently. You know, if I come to this church, well, you know, the folks here, you, you people in this church, you're easy for me to love. I don't have to live with you every day. Amen? And I, and I would hope that I would be easy for you to love. Amen? <laughs> but you know where, where God has placed me? Then there's the test. You see, to love people, you know, there's that frustration. That Remember Moses, amen? He became frustrated as he passed through that whole wayward crowd in the wilderness. And he didn't sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people. He smote the rock in frustration, and it cost him. We have to be very, very careful that we're not frustrated with people. Again, I'm not saying that we don't deal with things. We don't rightly judge or govern, amen? But we must be long-suffering, patient. There has to be a heart of tender mercy extended to everybody. If they can be helped, if they will be helped, amen? If they will be helped, then I have to be willing to be a vessel that God can use to help them, amen? To either win souls or to disciple others requires both great sacrifice and great patience. Yes, it does. You know, Jesus said, as ye would that men should do unto you, do ye also to them likewise. Wherever they're at, amen. If you were lost, blasphemous, on your way to hell, resistant to the grace of God, how would you want the church to deal with you? Would you want to be warned? Absolutely. Would you want to be confronted, though it may make you mad? Yes. Would you want people praying for you? Of course you would. Amen. You know, not long ago, I had a young man at LSU approach me. He was a professing Christian, and as we were preaching the gospel, you know, preaching the gospel is confrontational, and lots of people don't like that. And because most of the church world doesn't practice evangelism anymore, they don't understand it. Amen. Jesus said, if you do the will of the Father, then you understand 
understand the doctrine. But if you don't evangelize, you won't know what it is to do it. But this young man came up like many people, and he wanted to teach me how to evangelize. And we sat down, and I, I heard him out. He was very sincere. He didn't have a bad spirit. Amen. But he was totally deceived. He said, you're not going to win people to Jesus this way. You know, lifting up your voice. What he was attacking was preaching. But uh, God chose the foolishness of preaching. Amen. That men might hear and believe. But, you know, after he got through, I just gave him an analogy. I said, young man, if you were to walk out of your dorm room in the morning and you were to look down this road here, and as far as you could see, there were people blindfolded and falling off into a pit of fire. You could smell the burning flesh. You could hear the cries of the people as they were tormented in the flame. What would be the proper response of love? Would you pull up a chair and sit down and wait for someone to ask you what's all the racket about? Would you offer them a glass of water and tell them to have a good day in the name of Jesus? Or would perhaps with great passion and emotion you would lift up your voice and cry out and begin to warn them, take your blindfold off, you're soon to perish. And you know, he looked at me and said, I get your point. I told him, I said, we believe people are going to hell. That's why we act like this. You don't, and that's the, way, what, the reason you act the way that you act. If we truly believe people will die and fall off into hell, then we're going to be consistent. And likewise, if we truly believe, amen, that people need the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will give ourselves fully with a heart of love. It's going to require that we lay down our life. Amen. I must forever lose the me first mentality or I will cause others to stumble. If I'm selfish, I'm going to be blind. The thought always has to be, how does this affect my testimony? You know, consistency is a great and blessed mark or characteristic of a man. When you can see consistency in an individual, then you can respect that. And you know, in every individual that I've respected in the ministry, that's been one of the leading marks of their life. They are consistent. Amen. If you're to fulfill your call, you and your family, you and your family must henceforth and forever think Jesus first and then others. And lastly, we will consider ourselves. That mentality must be there. First, it has to be established in you. Then you have to bring your family into that mentality. You have to teach your family. This is not about the American dream. We're not going to live a Norman Rockwell portrait. No, no. This is not going to be... You know, your idea of what it is to grow up in modern America. We are going to have to sacrifice. And we're going to do it willingly. Not by consent. We're going to do it because we want to do it. That's why, young man, it's so, so, so very important that you be careful who you marry. Amen. And you better make sure that it is the absolute will of God. Because there has to be agreement in that household. There has to be agreement even in those children. We have to see this is what we're called. We don't become bitter. How many times have you seen uh, preachers? But one of the most disgusting and vile things is to hear people attack the ministry because my children had to put up with this. And we had to be under scrutiny. And you, you were never settled to be 
in the ministry in the first place. Shame on you. What a terrible thing to say. I don't have any pity on that kind of thing. You should have thought about that before you took the position. Amen. It comes with the ter- If I'm going to stand in this pulpit this morning and as it were put my finger on the end of your nose and tell you thus saith God, I expect you to scrutinize me. And it's right that you do so. Amen. It's a right thing. And me and my family have to embrace that. Amen. We have to embrace. You know, uh, uh, I remember my wife before we were married, how I sat her down many times and dealt with are you prepared for this? We, of course, prayed about it. We both believed it was God. But I asked her, are you ready to give up all? I made her say it with her mouth. In fact, when I proposed to my wife, I took her on a Sunday to a park, and we sat down at a picnic table, and we discussed A to Z. And finally, I basically said, I don't remember the exact words, but I basically said, you and I are going to go where Jesus wants us to go. We are going to put Him first. Amen. We're going to put others before ourselves. We're not going to look, amen, to our own life. And and lastly, you're probably going to be decapitated or beheaded for the name of Christ. Do you want to marry me? That's a true story. I think she thought about it for a little while. (laughs) She said, yes. Thank God. Amen. Don't think we hadn't had that discussion. Don't think we hadn't gone back to that moment. That altar call, as it were, where there was a covenant made with God. We knew exactly what we were getting into before we got into it. Amen. My wife sat down with a woman uh, when I first began to pastor. She sat down with a woman that had pastored, or of course her husband was the pastor, but she was married to him for uh, 40, or still married to him, but I mean they pastored for over 40 years. And one of the things is my wife just, you know, asked her and inquired of her as an older woman, and she had been in, in the ministry for many years, and one of the things that stood out, uh, I'll never forget it, she said, Bridget uh, and pastoring for, you know, 40 uh, some odd years, there was not one time that me and my husband and our family, if we, if we went on a vacation or we were planning uh, some outing for our family, there wasn't one time that I can recall where it wasn't interrupted by a need in the church. Now you think of that. She said that sincerely and honestly. And she didn't say that to complain. She was informing my wife, be ready, be prepared. It's not enough to tolerate that. It's not enough to tolerate it. You've got to embrace that. I'm a gift to the body. I am there for these individuals. I'm there for the glorification of God. And if that's not your heart, you see, the whole mentality that ministry is glamorous is a facade and a lie. Amen. It's bloody and it is costly if you're going to truly, truly be in the ministry. Amen. There cannot be any selfishness in that heart or you will cause others to stumble. The next thing is insincerity. Insincerity or the lack of authenticity. Second Corinthians 2 and 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ, said the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He's saying there's nothing phony about us. 
There, there's no, you know, we're not just trying to pro, pro, uh, promote or uh, provoke some type of perception of who we are. There's nothing funny, a phony about us, nothing contrived. We speak as, as in truth as God is watching us and taking hold of every word that's being spoken. We speak as men that recognize and realize that we are going to give an account for every idle word that we speak. This has to be the heart of the preacher. Any air of insincerity, any hypocrisy or pretense will utterly spook the honest in heart. This is especially true today when charlatans and liars are in nine out of ten pulpits. Amen. Any attempt to take more authority than we possess or to speak of things we readily do not know or to otherwise promote ourselves will, for, will foster that air of insincerity. If we try to, you know, take more authority, and oh, how common this is, where men, amen, will not submit themselves to a local church, but then they want to rebuke the local church. It's going to come off in the wrong gear, amen. It is to build a facade, to put on the religious show, to feign what we're not so as to hide what we truly are. And listen, church, the most dangerous person to the call of God and the exaltation of Christ, the last person in the universe that you need involved in the call of God is you. The most dangerous hindrance to me fulfilling the call of God is not the Pope, though he's dangerous. Amen. It's not the spirit of Antichrist, though absolutely very dangerous. It's not even the devil himself. The greatest hindrance to me fulfilling the call of God in my life is Brett Williams. Amen. If I get involved in this at all, I'm going to mess it up bad. I'm going to bring a defilement to it. I must abide, crucified in the Lord Jesus Christ. If bolstering your spiritual reputation before men, if that's important to you, then I would suggest you join the circus. Amen. But don't dare enter in to the call of God. Leave God alone. Amen. Don't trifle with God. Don't dabble with holy things. The Bible says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. If you're not going to give all, if you're not going to lay down your life in the Lord Jesus Christ to truly minister to others, then back off. You'll have a less tormenting hellfire. And that's the truth. This is not something to be dabbled in. John Hyde, the great missionary, said, Self must not only be dead, but buried out of sight. For the stench of the unburied self-life will frighten souls away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that one is sincere in spirit. That one that's honest, that has no guile, amen, of heart. Amen. He can see. He knows. If there's insincerity, if there's a lack of authenticity, then we're going to cause people to stumble. The next thing, unequal judgment or want of justice. To God that we would have ears to hear this point. Amen. Unequal judgment or the want of justice. Deuteronomy 25 and 15 says, But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight. A perfect and just measure shall thou have, 
that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, I know the Lord is speaking here, amen, in the natural of having a just balance or a just weight where someone would come and there would be an exchange or there would be barter or what have you. Amen. I'm going to give you a pound of sugar or a pound of eggs, amen, for, you know, a pound of meat. And they put it on the balance and that balance needed to be just. That there wasn't some dishonest gain here or what have you. But I believe there's a spiritual application as well. There needs to be equal judgment. Amen. This is a common trap to lower the gospel hammer on others while applying the salve of a false grace to ourselves and our own. Do you hear me here this morning? Amen. Unequal judgment, a lack of justice will cause people to stumble. Amen. And people are going to be watching you. Just as I said, if I'm going to stand up here and preach as I'm preaching to you this morning, and, and perhaps even with greater authority, then you're going to be watching whether I treat myself that way. Do I talk to myself this way? Do I talk to my wife and children this way? And if I don't, then I'm a hypocrite. That's the truth. If, I, if there's unequal judgment, amen, then people are going to stumble. Let it be known, there's no sooner way to lose the respect of others than by unequal judgment. This malady is so pervasive that it's difficult to find men who can even see it properly. I've seen more preachers lose influence and ruin their testimony this way than perhaps any other way. Unequal judgment. The truth is the truth. The truth is the truth for you, and the truth is the truth for me. The truth is the truth for you, me, and mine. Amen. It doesn't change for anybody. Men who study to overthrow the excuses for sin in others while offering their own clever justifications are spiritually repulsive. That's the height of hypocrisy, isn't it? You know, when we'll deal with someone else, but yet we will not deal with our own. Oh, I tell you, people... People will stumble if they see that in you. Proverbs 24, 23 through 24. These things also belong to the wise. Listen, it is not good to have respective persons in judgment. He that saith unto the wicked, thou art righteous, him shall the people curse. Nations shall abhor him. If it's wicked, then it's wicked. If it's wicked in me, then it's wicked in me. If it's wicked in my wife, it's wicked in my wife. If it's wicked in my children, it's wicked in my children. It's not just wicked in you, but you have to understand. I mean, my wife was under a lot of pressure, and this was a circumstance, this was a situation. No. It's wicked for her, too. Equal judgment. When we castigate someone else's wife, our son, our daughter for their sin, but gently protect our own wife, son, or daughter, we become hypocrites. Any standard that I project or establish from this pulpit, and of course those standards must be God, they must be according to the Word of God, but make no mistake, there are standards being communicated by what's being preached here this morning. There are standards being communicated every time Brother Victor gets in the pulpit, all across America, any church, any pastor, evangelist, whomever it may be, the Sunday school teacher, when they stand in the pulpit, there are standards that are being communicated. Well, first and foremost, they need to be God. 
They need to be according to the Word of God. But secondly, there's going to be a great venue for the devil to undermine the truth if that vessel that has spoken, that vessel that has been used by God to establish and to communicate that truth, doesn't himself come under those standards. Amen. You know, time and time again in my past, I've had experiences where the pastors or leadership has had double standards for their own. Some, you know, young uh, boy in the church. I remember in what church I was in, there were young people that fell into sin, fornication, whatever it may be, lots of different things. And the pastor had them come up and confess before everybody. Then not long after that, his children fell into the same sin and it was swept under the rug. Amen. They continued to minister on the platform. It was a double standard. And he lost influence with that church. Oh, yes. I do. What do you believe? Should, nothing wrong. He wanted to do it that way. That's his business. He wanted to have all them folks come up. There was a reason for it. I'm not going to get into the details. I agreed with that. Because of the details of the situation. But when his children fell into that sin, I believe he should have applied the same exact standard. You know, he wasn't thinking. He wasn't aware. He wasn't cognizant of how it was going to undermine his testimony. You see, a heart has to see and recognize that God is just. Justice is an attribute of God. If you will be godly, you must learn to avoid. Unequal judgment. Because it is an attribute of God's divine nature. Amen? Consider for a moment the atonement. Consider for a moment the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to delve too deeply into it, but in the doctrine of the atonement, there are two basic legal concepts. One is substitution, and secondly, there is justice. Substitution and justice. That's basically the doctrine of the atonement, or that Jesus, amen, went to the cross and shed his blood as a substitute for you and I. So first of all, God willingly offered his only and his innocent. Son, Jesus didn't deserve to be nailed to a cross. I did. Amen. First, he did that as a substitute. And thank God that he did. Amen. Thank God that Jesus shed his blood for you and I. That's the first aspect of the doctrine of the atonement. But secondly, he offered a divine display of justice against sin so as to maintain the integrity and the honor of his divine government to communicate to the universe I will not tolerate sin even if it costs me you think about it Jesus was publicly humiliated for the sake of the integrity of the government of God first and foremost a substitute that God would be glorified first secondly that men would be redeemed but there is that part of the atonement where God is revealing his nature of justice. Amen. The Bible says he swear to his own hurt. Swear to his own hurt. And so listen to me. If God was willing to do that with his family, amen, if God was willing to do that with his son and his son didn't even deserve that, how much more for my wife or my children or me if I'm guilty? I have to be equal in my judgment, amen? If, if we're godly, then we're going to exercise justice. 
which leads me, amen, to the final point. You know, again, think about when we consider all the false that's in America today. We look at the big seeker-sensitive movement, the Word of Faith movement. Turn on TV and nothing but one liar after another. In this city right here, perhaps one of the, the, the greatest false teachers in America, Mr. Olstein. Amen. And what do we do when we think about that lying man that's deceiving multitudes of people? You know, it's not so much what he says, though I've heard things that he said that are definitely not scriptural. But in, mo- in most cases today, it's not what men will say. It's what they refuse to say. They will not put their finger on the spot. So when we think about these false teachers, you know, we think, well, you know, they just won't deal with what's in their church. Well, why won't they deal with it? Because they're afraid they're going to offend those people. They're going to lose relationships with those people whereby they are ministered to. Well, you know, the thing about it is, mister, you can look down the road and you can look at these big charismatic churches and you can look at these false teachers and you can say they won't deal with what's under them. Amen. Listen to me. If you won't deal with your own wife and you won't deal with your own children, you're just as guilty as they are. And if you had that position, you would do the same thing. That's why even for a qualification for bishop is that he ruleth well his own house. Because you're going to learn it here. If you're afraid of a complete stranger or someone that you're not married to, amen, listen to me, or pardon me, if you're afraid of your family, how much more are you going to be afraid of the church? You've got to pass that test in your own home before God is going to grant you authority in the church. And that leads to the last point here, lack of leadership at the home or family disorder. It says in 1 Timothy 3 and 4, one that ruleth well his own house. That's the statement. That's the qualification or the requirement that is given to us in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Amen. Notice the key word in this qualification for leadership is rule. Amen. That's the, that is the, 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 the qualifying word there, rule it. And that means to preside over, literally to govern. Now, in this rebellious generation, amen, I, when feminism has just, you know, riddled the church, this is a very unpopular thought. But it's what the Bible says, amen. Now, we dare not overlook the significance of this declaration. The one called to preach must rule well his house. Amen. Notice the emphasis is on rulership. The emphasis is on governing. In the book of Genesis, when God declared that he would trust Abraham and reveal the secret of God to Abraham, it was because Abraham would command his household. What an unpopular thought in this hour. I command my household. Oh, you make people mad just saying that. Nevertheless, it's what the Bible teaches. In regards to the home, neither love, encouragement, or care is specifically mentioned, but rulership, and I'm not saying those things are not necessary. I'm just saying the thing that is emphasized is rulership. And I don't believe it was a mistake or a coincidence. Rulers, according to Romans 13, are to be a terror to evil works, and they are to judge sin and reward the good. 
Amen. And again, that's a throwback to our last point of justice. Amen. Ruling, commanding, and judging. It all speaks of control. Yes, sir. The man is to be the priest of that household. And he is to exercise loving, loving leadership. But he is to be in control, under the control of the Holy Ghost. If any man who is called to preach has lost control of his household, either his wife or children, he's unfit for ministry. Awful quiet here. See, you know, it's the world that hates all this kind of stuff. It's the world that hates order in the house. It's, it's the world that hates, amen, what God says about the marriage. But you see, the church has been so inundated by a worldly mentality that they almost become offended with biblical terms. Amen. I control my house. Amen. Under the Holy Ghost. I rule my house. I command my wife. I rule my wife under the leadership of the Holy I'm not ashamed to say that. That's the truth. I love my wife. Besides Jesus, she is my best friend. Amen. We have a wonderful relationship. But she knows her place, and I know my place. And we're not fighting over that or wrestling over control. There's not a power struggle in that marriage or in that home. And if there were, I'm unfit for ministry. The house is out of order. If there's rebellion in those children, amen. If there's disorder, then there's trouble, amen. If the wife or the children are not right with God, that's not good, amen. But it doesn't, I believe, disqualify the man unless he is at fault or he's not in control. Do you hear me? Everybody has a free will. I can't force anybody to follow Jesus. Amen. God the Father, amen, had a son according to the Bible. Amen. Adam was the son of God. Not as Jesus was, but he was, amen, created by God, and God was his authority. And Adam fell. That's not a reflection on God. God didn't do anything wrong. Adam had a free will. So, amen, the best of testimonies can be rejected. And a children or wife may choose not to serve God in light of the most pure testimony. Amen. But nevertheless, listen to me. I still believe that that man has to be in control of that house. You know, I was entertaining an Indian pastor one time at my home. He was a, a pastor in northern India. And, of course, uh, that Indian culture, particularly in the north of India, is very patriarchal. Still, even among pagans, I mean, the father is is the leader of the home. The, the, the husband, amen, has authority over the wife, even among the worst of sinners. The children are in subjection, for the most part, to their parents. Their parents, amen, they choose their mate for their children. So the culture, they're very patriarchal. And he was at my home one evening, and there was another preacher visiting, and he was just sharing with us the problems that he was having in his household with some of his children. They were in utter rebellion, and he kept lamenting Minting, I can't get, they will not do anything that I tell them to do. They almost mock me to, to my face and making statements like that. And you know, this Indian pastor, he wasn't saying a whole lot, but his eyes were about that big around and he just kept, you know, he was amazed at what the man was saying. And after a little while, the man left and it was just me and this Indian pastor. And he looked at me and he said, what was he talking about? 
He can't make them do what he wants them to do. I don't understand this concept in America, in, in India. My children are going to come under. He just couldn't even, he couldn't even perceive that his children would look him straight in the face and not do what he said to do. You see, listen to me. This is a uniquely American problem. This is not something normal that you go into the, the grocery store and you see four, four-year-olds punching their parents, amen, and screaming at them, no, it's rebellion. It's disorder is what it is. I heard a story another preacher told. He was dealing with a man, amen, in a, in a set aside for a month seeking God. And they were all there, and the man came and said, I need to go home. I'm having trouble with my, with my child, you know. And, and so he, he uh, said, okay, well, we'll uh, let you go, release you, or what have you. And finally he sat down with him, began to talk to him. And it was a, you know, I can't remember the exact, like a six-year-old child or a seven-year-old child. And, you know, the preacher's like, what do you mean? You know, you can't deal with that. Bring them in a room and take the rod of correction and lovingly apply the rod of correction until you bring that child to repentance. Amen? And then get them up, pray with them, hug them, and let them go out the door. And if they do it again, then discipline them again. And if they do it again, discipline them again. And don't stop disciplining them until you have embedded in their spirit that man and that woman is not not going to put up with my rebellion. I believe, listen to me, any child in America, any child in America, you take an unbiased and loving adult with a rod of correction one afternoon. One afternoon. They could sit that child down in any place and say, sit there and don't move until I come back. And they will do it. I believe that. I took in one time a young lady whose husband was in prison, and she had a young child. And the boy was about four or five years old, and he was a very stout little boy, amen? And she was, you know, uh, kind of small and petite. And, uh, you know, when she came in our home, she got born again. We began to teach her how to deal with her children, amen, to discipline in love. But, you know, the little boy had never been dealt with, so he was very rambunctious, and she couldn't hardly physically handle him to deal with him. Well, you know, she began to plead with me, what am I going to do? I can't even hold him down to take a spanking, amen. And so, you know, knowing, you know, the the uh, risk involved in that, I prayed about it, but I thought, I'm going to help her. I had her in, and then I showed her how to discipline that child. Because that child, especially because that child wasn't mine, then I went strictly by the, I was so cautious of my spirit. Amen. I made sure to discipline the child until he was brought to repentance. I loved him. I hugged him. I made him look me in the eyes. Let's get to victory. Amen. There was a free spirit between he and I when I got through disciplining him. And I tell you, after. After a week with him, he was more obedient than my own children. I'd put him in the room and say, don't leave here out of this room till we call you for dinner. And he wasn't coming out. I left him in there for three days. He ain't coming out of that room until I, come, I went back there and got him. And you know, that revealed to me, if I'll be this 
you know, uh, concerned and this meticulous with my own children, then there can be victory. Amen. But uh, listen to we must judge and define and govern our house. You know, just like I said, that experience that I had when I sat under that pastor, you know, if somebody else's child fornicated, they were lost. But if his children fornicated, there was just a little problem. You know, I never expected his children to be perfect. I just wanted him to be real. Just be real. Just call it what it is. If it's not salvation, then don't say that it is. Amen? And there has to be that commitment in the heart that I'm going to be equal. I'm going to deal with my house according to the will of God. Amen? When you've lost control or lost command, then you're unfit for ministry. Remember Eli, amen, the priest. What a terrible and awful example and warning that his testimony is to us. And you recall in that story, amen, that Eli, his children were wicked and they were vile and they were defiling the sacrifice of God. Well, you know, Eli told him something about it. He said, sons, you shouldn't do so wickedly. But the prophet still came and said, Ichabod, judgment is on your house. He said, because you wouldn't restrain. He requires more than just telling your family. Stop it. Amen. Stop it. It's not going to happen here. We're not going to tolerate it in this house at all. We're not going to have it. Amen. And don't think for one minute that God doesn't expect that because he does expect it. Amen. And we have an example right there. So see, these are things right here that if we're going to be in the ministry, hallelujah, We must not allow ourselves to fall into. We cannot be these things and continue to have spiritual influence. Why don't you stand here this morning? We're going to continue with this thought, Lord willing, for the next, amen, uh, you know, two days. Uh, We're going to continue with thoughts right along with this, but we're going to stop right here this morning. Amen. Six hindrances to spiritual influence. I'm going to just turn the service over to Brother Victor. Let him do what he wants. Why don't you lift your hands, praise the Lord, and just draw nine to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank him for the truth. Thank him for the truth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Could we just have a season of prayer? Amen. Find a place around these altars. I tell you, let God deal with you. Every one of us here can apply these truths to our lives, whether you feel a call to the ministry or not, whether God's called you to be a preacher or not. There's areas where you need to make application of this truth in your own life. Let God talk to you.